When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. As if they've ever faced through one quarter of play in franchise history. Tannehill couldn't get out of trouble, and he's sacked by Anthony Barr. First down for Miami, short of the 40. Look out. Tannehill, the timing was perfect. Anthony Barr. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here, Danny Cunningham in for the first hour. We will have ourselves a Zolgad in the second hour. Hot routes will be at 3 o'clock. We've got Manny's eight or nine things. Manny Hill will be in here at uh, the end of the hour. Joe Caparoso from Turn on the Jets. Obviously covers the Jets will be our random NFL reporter of the week. So a lot to get to here on Purple Daily. And uh, Danny, I was driving back from the Vikings golf tournament, which they put on every year for the media. And then the players play with fans who I think paid to play with them. And it goes to charity or some sort of donation something sure. like that. Yeah, I, I can't be exactly sure. Um, and I was just, I was racking my brain. Like, what do we want to talk about here? The, the OTA stuff, we kind of went over that yesterday. We've got no movement on Kyle Rudolph. We've talked about the wide receiver three. Who's going to be in that situation? We've talked about tight ends and Irv Smith and the draft and the offseason a lot. What can we get to today as we kind of wait for a little bit of movement on that? And then mini camp, we'll get a really good idea next week of, Who's fitting in where? That really sets the table for training camp, and then we'll be able to say, okay, here's what we know. Mm-hmm. But that's not really till next week. Yeah, And there hasn't been breaking news in the NFL. Trent Williams looks like he wants to be traded. Somebody asked me about that on Twitter today, and I just can't make it work. Like, they could cut Riley Reef and trade for Trent Williams, but what do you have to give away for Trent Williams? He hasn't been particularly healthy, and are they really trading a... Excellent left tackle to a team that they're playing this year. I just can't. I just can't see it. Right. Sure. So I'm not going to go there. And then I stumbled across a gem from our friend Kevin Seifert from ESPN, who did a countdown of the seven whiffs of the NFL offseason, and it begins with the man that Jonathan just played a highlight of, Anthony Barr. It's seven whiffs of the offseason. So I want to go over these with you, Danny, because I love this article, and it's kind of like. 
great off-season stuff is when you come up with fun ideas of things to talk about, and Kevin definitely did that here. That's what the off-season is. Anthony Barr, this starts with Anthony Barr turning down a chance to rush the passer with the New York Jets, that that was a whiff by both Anthony Barr and the Jets, maybe, because now Anthony Barr is going to come back and play his role. So we kind of got done talking about Anthony Barr coming back and it was like, okay, he's back. He's always been here and that's it. Let's, let's revisit that for a second. Was that, let's, let's go all the angles here. Was that a good move in your mind for the Vikings for Anthony Barr to come back here? I do think it was because he's been part of some really good defenses here. And I think that, yeah, everyone is aging a little bit, but as long as you can keep that core together, which obviously he's part of, I think you still give yourselves a chance to be really good. So I do think it's a good move. I don't know financially how smart it was, but just in terms of bringing back the player, it is something that I like for the Vikings. So I totally agree with you on the player that Anthony Barr is because I feel like Pro football focus numbers don't tell us the entire story and neither do sacks or interceptions or forced fumbles sure. on how unique of a player Anthony Barr is. How many linebackers go at six foot five, 250 to 260 pounds who can run a four five and have the quickness that he has? He's such a versatile player that Mike Zimmer can use him in any way. And Zimmer has called him brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I would agree with that. I, I think he's one of the smarter players that I've been around and he knows the defense super well. So you can use him in so many different ways. Let me make for you a basketball comparison. If you have somebody who is a decent uh, three-point shooter who can dribble a little bit or something, like, okay, that's good. That's what you want. But if you have somebody who maybe doesn't put up the most perfectly efficient numbers all the time, but can shoot from three, can drive to the basket, can play stronger defense, can play in any type of system and play two or three positions, That's kind of what they have for Anthony Barr. So I think for the Vikings, it was good for them. Now, for Anthony Barr, this is Kevin Seifert's argument. He says, some around the league think that Barr's speed and long body would make him a dangerous pass rusher on a regular basis. We might never know the answer. Do you think that Barr made the right decision by coming back to Minnesota rather than going to the New York Jets? Financially, I think he did not because he would have been making more money with the New York Jets. And I think that that's obviously something that I can't speak on to say it was right or wrong because he's the one collecting those paychecks and not me. So that is the decision that he made and obviously was comfortable in making. But I do think that it probably will impact how much he can be paid in the future by not getting the opportunity to go after the passer almost every single down in today's NFL because it's been proven that those types of guys get paid more money. Mm -hmm. And if Anthony Barr is being utilized like that and is successful in that type of role, obviously the paychecks are going to follow. So I don't know that he made the right decision, but I think that obviously the Vikings and Vikings fans should be happy with the decision that he did make. You could look at that from two different perspectives in my mind. One being if you take a short-term deal, a three-year contract, and they use you as an edge rusher for that entire time, and you get one double-digit sack season or a high-pressure rate season, you are going to get that last contract, because that would only put him at about 28 years old. Yeah, You are getting a last contract that could be potentially massive if people are going to then sign you to a four-year deal for 80 million or 90 million somewhere in that range if you can rush the passer and still do other things that he could do drop back in coverage 
pretty good against the run. He can make plays in the backfield against screen passes. He really is excellent at shutting down uh, wide receiver um, running backs who are acting as receivers on plays coming out of the backfield because of his speed and yeah. his length and quickness and those things. So if you were talking about that type of player, he gets a big three-year deal from the Jets, gets a bunch of sacks, then gets another three- or four-year deal worth masses and masses of money. That's probably not going to happen here. Because he's a linebacker, the prices are still going to stay fairly low if he continues with the same role, which I would expect him to do. There's always these conversations about, well, will this year be the year that they rush the passer more? And I have been on that train that they should use him as an edge rusher more often, and maybe they should have Everson Griffin bump inside in certain situations and him come off the edge. But it's just not realistic in what Mike Zimmer's defense asks someone like Anthony Barr to do. So I think that from his perspective on the field and financially, there was probably a mistake made. However... Look at the organizations and the difference. That's true, too. There is an enormous difference. I mean, and we'll we'll dig into that in our next segment with our our Jets guest that you didn't ask for. But (laughs) it is it is a stark difference in the way that those two organizations are run. The Jets are have kind of been a a joke for a while now. And the Vikings are one of the more stable organizations in the NFL. And to Anthony Barr, we don't know what that's worth, but obviously it meant enough for him to want to pass up on the opportunity to play for New York for more money to come back to Minnesota. I mean, if if you're playing this out, if he goes to the New York Jets and then they fire their general manager, you might be stuck there with a coach who didn't want you. And also the defensive coordinator is Greg Williams, yeah. who's a lunatic. Yeah. And I don't think really particularly good at his job anymore. But a lunatic. Uh, yes. I, I think that that's the, the part we need to focus on. He's a lunatic. Right. And that is problematic. Yeah. Because he's a lunatic. And you're talking about maybe coming back to at least a head coach that you know exactly how he's going to be. There will be times where Mike Zimmer might throw you under the bus. Maybe he won't do that again with Anthony Barr because he's happy he came back. And even if there are struggles along the way or something, that Zimmer's not going to do that. But uh, you know exactly what you're getting with Mike Zimmer and the organization and the defensive coordinator, George Edwards, and the linebacker coach, was Adam Zimmer. I mean, you know everything that you're getting here, the yeah. teammates you have. So from his perspective personally and the organization he'd be going to, you're in a much, much better spot. So I don't know if that's a whiff from Anthony Barr. Where it is a whiff is the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. Having Anthony Barr turn back and run in the other direction then they end up signing C.J. Mosley, who is somewhat similar, but maybe not quite of the versatility of Anthony Barr. And you know, I think they came out okay, but it's a whiff to have a player just say, I'm going to sign with you. No, I'm not going to sign with you. Immediately to have cold feet before signing the paper. That's not a good look for the organization on an organization that is really searching for good looks and haven't have have not had many of them lately. So, yeah, it is absolutely a whiff for the Jets. So I, I think that uh, I would agree with Kevin's decision to put this on his seven whiffs of the offseason. But I would also say with context, you can totally understand why Anthony Barr would turn around and run the other direction. Now, there's, it's a whiff for somebody, but you can make different arguments for who actually whiffed yes. there. Now, this one, the next one, number six on the list is just a straight-up whiff for the San Francisco 49ers not being able to trade for Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown. The 49ers now go into a season where I think Kyle Shanahan is on the hot seat. Yeah. If, 
if they don't succeed and Jimmy Garoppolo especially does not have a good season, they're going to be stuck with a massive quarterback contract and probably looking for a new head coach because that's just how the league works. I, I think I ran through this and now I'm blanking on the exact number. But Zimmer is like somewhere in the range of the seventh most tenured coach in the NFL. Isn't it crazy? And he, and Pittsburgh never fires anybody and Belichick exists. Jim, uh, John Harbaugh has been around for a long time. Somehow but, Marvin Lewis finally is out of Cincinnati. That took about 10 years too long. I know. And and so Zimmer is one of the more experienced head coaches and just got here 2014. That would mean for me that uh, Kyle Shanahan will be out. But uh, how much of a hole do you think the 49ers put themselves in by not acquiring one of those two receivers? I, a huge hole. They're missing that on offense. When your best offensive weapon is your tight end and he's not named Rob Gronkowski or is a, a surefire future Hall of Famer at that position, you're probably not in a good place. So, yeah, it's a big whiff on them. Now, it, it's I don't know what they would have given up to get Odell Beckham Jr. I think the Giants kind of got fleeced by the Browns. I think they could have gotten much more in that trade. So I don't understand how the, the Niners could not have beat that offer. Yeah, I felt the same way. Uh, and I don't know what difference it would make for, I mean, trading um, Odell Beckham into the NFC. Maybe they didn't want to keep him in the NFC. They know how good he is. Uh, Antonio Brown, though, the Pittsburgh Steelers traded him in the AFC. Sure. Now, and you, for only a third and a fifth. And granted, the, the contract situations between those two receivers are a little bit different. The age is a difference between those two receivers, too. But you could beat that. You could beat you a could third have, and a fifth. You absolutely could have beat that. Yes, yep. no question about that. So instead and, of getting Brown. And yes. Brown is a guy that wanted to be in San Francisco. Like they, He made that known. He mm-hmm. wanted. That was his preferred destination. Odell Beckham never came public with preferred destinations. Mm-hmm. Antonio Brown wanted to be a 49er. So instead, they signed Jordan Matthews, meh. Yeah, drafted Debo Samuel, who I like, but is nowhere close to Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown, and then uh, also drafted Jalen Hurd, an interesting player that was kind of intriguing around draft time, but again, not somebody that you expect to have some massive impact right away. And uh, so the 49ers really left themselves short, and... If Arizona takes a big step forward with Kingsbury, it could be San Francisco that's dead last in that division. Yeah, that could really absolutely happen. That's going to be really interesting. I don't know that the Cardinals have the the firepower to get up above the 49ers, and a lot of this is going to depend on one how healthy Jimmy Garoppolo is, and two how good he actually is. Which yeah. I still think. I know a lot of people really think that he's a a very good high end quarterback in the NFL. I'm not sold on him. I, I've never been sold on him. I think that a lot of the mystique behind being on the Patriots has gotten him to where he is and gotten him part of that contract. And what he's done has been, he's done good things, but it's been a fairly short sample size. So I'm not a, a huge buyer of Jimmy Garoppolo's stock either. And you'll see this all the time where somebody has a hot end of a season and then we assume that that's who they really are. Mm-hmm. And for him, a couple of years ago, wins the final five games. And then we all assume, well, he must just be a really good quarterback. Exactly. But that's five games that you have on tape for people to pay attention to your strengths and weaknesses and the Vikings really took advantage last year in week one of some of his weaknesses. I am in wait and see with Jimmy Garoppolo because just doesn't have a lot of experience. He doesn't even have a full season's worth of starts for me to look at and say, well, this is what he really is. And it's just been a little bit here, a little bit there. 
and then the injury last year, and I don't know what they have there yet. I know that he's talented, but I'm not sure what the ceiling is. I do know that Shanahan's offenses usually get just about as much as you could possibly get out of people. Wasn't it Brian Hoyer in Cleveland had a great year with Shanahan? Brian Hoyer looks like Jimmy Garoppolo in in those five games that he was really good once the Niners acquired him. When Brian Hoyer went and the Browns went seven and nine in 2014, and they were seven and four before putting Johnny Manziel in the starting lineup after Hoyer had a couple of bad games. But Hoyer looked really similar to what Garoppolo did in those final five games. So some more on the list here that we don't need to go over in depth. Um, The Giants not getting any return for Landon Collins. He just leaves. Uh, Adam Humphreys choosing the Titans over the Patriots, which is kind of an odd and surprising decision. But maybe money played a role in that. Russell Wilson compromising his uh, contract negotiations. Okay. Um, I mean, he got a lot of money, so he's okay. But the, <laughs> but the top two here are interesting to me, and especially number two, Teddy Bridgewater turning down the Miami Dolphins. This one I might disagree with. Yeah. Now, I think the Dolphins, A, did you notice that they're going back to their old jerseys? For some games this year, their throwback jerseys are some of my favorite in football. They should be. There are some franchises that should have been penalized for changing jerseys. Like I agree. The Dolphins are one of them. The Cleveland Browns are another one. The Browns, the Bucks, yeah, Tampa Bay Buccaneers have probably one of the two I think worst. It's, the worst. I th- it's them or the Browns for the worst uniforms in football right now. But their digital clock font for their numbers Ooh. is. Horrific. That is XFL stuff right there. It's so bad. I think that they should be penalized. I think you have to penalize the teams like these. At <laughs> Find least, them a draft pick. Yes, at least a second round draft pick. So if, if I'm Bridgewater, I definitely want to wear the old school uniform. So it is. A, it is a whiff in that sense. But I just although the Saints have good uniforms, I too. cannot get myself to say that Teddy Bridgewater in his situation coming back from the injury and he's played one game since then and looked like some resemblance of Teddy Bridgewater in that game. They they lost, but it was a Week 17 type of thing. He moved around. Sure. He ran. He made some anticipatory throws like he does. So he showed enough last year in practice and then in that game for the Saints to be really interested in him. In my mind, that would be an obvious decision to come back and play for the Saints. If you look at Drew Brees' contract, now they can always tear it up, but... It really looks like he's retiring after this year. Yeah. They've kicked it down the road, kicked it down the road, but it's a massive, massive cap hit for next year. My guess is that this is it for Drew Brees, especially the end of his last season. I think Teddy Bridgewater made the right decision. Sit one more year, be patient, make a lot of money, and then you probably get the starting job there. Well, in in Miami, doesn't it seem like the Dolphins are kind of in this two-year plan to tank for Trevor Lawrence? And like, they should it, be. It, it, yeah, they, they should, should be. be. I don't fault them at all, but I would fault Teddy Bridgewater for wanting to go be almost a sacrificial lamb in that type of situation. I think you're in a better position if you're Teddy to be a backup in New Orleans for one more year and then try and take that starting that starting position over from Drew Brees whenever he does ride off into the sunset, where if you're in Miami, you're not going to be surrounded with the same amount of talent. It's probably not going to go well, and they're going to be looking for your replacement a couple years down the road before you even take a snap there. Yep. It's not the ideal situation, so I'm with you. I don't think that this is a whiff for Teddy at no. all. And, and you're one turned ankle away from playing with one of the most talented offenses in the NFL yeah. with... Great playmakers, great offensive line, great receiver, at least in Michael Thomas. No, I, I actually 
think uh, that Teddy made the exact right decision. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with our random NFL reporter of the week. It is Joe Caparoso. We're going to talk some New York Jets when we return. You are listening to Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Now, it's time to take you on a journey to a random NFL city for a football breakdown you didn't need. Down and dirty. Rolling in the mud. All right, we are back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here along with Danny Cunningham. And now, yes, it is our time on Wednesday at 2.20 to talk to a random NFL reporter for an NFL breakdown that you didn't need. And uh, one of my favorite go-to guys anytime we're discussing the New York Jets, Joe Caparoso from TurnOnTheJets.com. What's up, Joe? How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, how's your off season? Any anything going on, or has it just been pretty quiet there? I'd say it's been mildly eventful <laughs> by uh, New York Jets standards, but they're keeping us busy, no doubt. So, Joe, we were just talking about Anthony Barr and uh, Kevin Seifert of ESPN did a whiffs of the off season seven whiffs. And he said Anthony Barr, by not going to the New York Jets, whiffed on his chance to become the pure pass rusher he's always believed he could be. Um, what was your reaction when Anthony Barr did the about face? And do you think that Anthony made a mistake by not coming to the New York Jets? It was a fairly shocking move. Things like that generally don't happen in the NFL offseason, so it was surprising. It felt like it was a done deal. It was obviously a huge contract. I think the thought of the Jets fully switching his position, I think, was intriguing. I think it would have been open to speculation whether it would have actually fully worked out. But I think if you're just looking at it from a monetary perspective, yeah, people who get after the quarterback get paid more. And if that was something that he really is not, he's being played as a traditional inside linebacker in Minnesota and Mike Zimmer's scheme, he's probably a guy who's never going to get more than three or five, three to five sacks in a season. He would have to ask himself if he thought with Greg Williams playing as a traditional edge rusher, could he be a 9, 10, 11, 12 sack guy and get paid accordingly for it? So it was surprising and it definitely hurt the Jets because they missed other people in the edge market and they went into the offseason with one of the weakest edge groups in the NFL. It didn't add a single free agent at the position, which was shocking. And a big part of that was because Barr, all the time they invested in him, had the miss on Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and some of the other guys who ended up going. So now the Jets are really going to be counting on third-round rookie Ja'Kai Polite to kind of be their top edge rusher. I, I know that the Anthony Barr thing was surprising and shocking, but I also think that the timing of the general manager being fired or, or leaving his position is also something that was pretty shocking, at least to the rest of the NFL. What's the latest on that search? So the Jets have interviewed four people, uh, Scott Fitterer from the Seattle Seahawks, Terry Fondman from the New Orleans Saints, Chan Kelly from the Chicago Bears, and Joe Douglas from the Philadelphia Eagles, who is considered the frontrunner. Both Douglas and Kelly have worked with Gase before. Um, I think most fans want Douglas. He has a very good reputation in league circles and obviously comes off working with the Eagles and the Ravens, two organizations who have been really successful in the past. 
so I think we'll find out at some point this week who ultimately will be the person. Uh, I would still bet on Douglas, but it does sound like Fitterer impressed them in their interview. Talking with Joe Caparoso of TurnOnTheJets.com, uh, discussing the New York Jets offseason now with Adam Gase. Two-part question here. What happened with his eyeballs? Do you know, Joe? I mean, like, what were, what were they doing? What, what happened there? Did we ever get an answer? Well, another massive, outstanding question in the Jets offseason. I would say Gase <laughs> is someone who is better served keeping his hat on during press conferences. I think he was a little nervous. New York media... You know, a football coach who better with the visor or the hat on, and I think he'll do that going forward for all his press conferences. I don't think you ever want your introductory press conference to turn into a thousand memes. Jets had to deal with that. But look, <laughs> all that matters is wins and losses. He looks like me out on the golf course when the little black bugs come out and I'm just like looking all over at him trying to avoid them. Um, that was part one of the question. The other part was, Despite that, what is the feeling on Gase here after it seems like he kind of came in and had the general manager assassinated? But this is a guy that at, at one point, Joe, was thought of as like a, a really hot coaching candidate that he goes to Miami, but it's kind of a bleep show in Miami, as you know. So, I mean, is there still a chance here that Adam Gase is a good coach and unlocks everything there is to unlock with Sam Darnold? Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a roller coaster with this guy. He was a serious Coach of the Year candidate back in 2016. Uh, the bottom kind of fell out in 2017 and 2018. It's very rare to hire a head coach a year after he's fired with no gap in between. And the reality is, and, you know, we pulled this from our site, no Jet fan wanted the team to hire Adam Gase on January 2nd. He was like the fifth or sixth best option in most fans' perspective. Mm-hmm. Ends up getting the job. Of course, people start finding a way to rationalize and get excited about it. He's earned some goodwill by helping push out Mike McCagden, who was a wildly unpopular GM because he was really bad at his job in 24 and 40 over four years. Uh, I don't think anyone feels comfortable with Gase being the coach, GM, and offensive coordinator and doing just about everything else. Uh, I think the hope is that he's a good offensive mind. Uh, He's going to delegate the defense over to Greg Williams. He's going to make a good hire at general manager and just focus on running the offense and not do anything too crazy. But he's got to win to earn the benefit of the doubt. He's 23 and 25. He's 13 to 19 in the past two years. And he's been a head coach in this division already. So the expectations are to win and win now. And if he doesn't, I think he's going to have a pretty short rope, particularly with what his relationship is like with the media and the fact that he already pushed McCagnan out. With him being an offensive guy, Adam, Adam Gase, that is, and obviously Sam Darnold entering his second year as a quarterback, what's the next step for him, and how does Adam Gase help him get to that next level? Because, yes, he might have a short rope, and you're only going to go as far as your quarterback can take you. So how is he going to get Sam Darnold to where he needs to be? I think everybody's hoping that Darnold can make that Goff Wentz like year two leap, and Darnold looked really good down the stretch in a really bad situation. He's only 22 years old. He just turned that today. So there's reasonable optimism from Jet fans. I think the hope is that compared to what Jeremy Bates was doing with him, uh, Gase will create more easy completions for Darnold uh, while also moving him outside the pocket a little more and just help get more talent around them. It's going to be easier for Darnold to play with Le'Veon Bell and Jamison Crowder than it was for playing with Andre Roberts and Elijah McGuire. So I think the talent upgrade is going to make a big difference. Uh, but the Jets need Darnold to cut back on the interceptions, cut back on the turnovers overall, uh, and then try to improve his accuracy in year two. And if he takes a leap, it could cover up a lot of the other awards with this team. 
Well, and if he takes the leap, then it will obviously be, uh, obviously be because of Trevor Simeon being there uh, and leaving the Vikings and going to the Jets, right? Um, follow up on Sam Darnold. Did you like him, Joe, when he came out, or were you were you kind of in the camp of a different quarterback? Because I love to talk about that quarterback class with Lamar Jackson. Can he actually get better from what he did last year? Uh, Josh Allen, can he not throw it out of the stadium each time he tries to check down to someone? You know, like uh, and and everyone just deciding. Sorry, Danny's from Cleveland. Deciding that Baker Mayfield is a Hall of Famer after one year. Accurate. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious how you felt about it going back and whether you're going to be continually reevaluating that take. Yeah, it was an interesting class. I don't think anybody expected the Jets to get a crack at Darnold. I think all we were talking about going up to that draft was Mayfield or Rosen. Everyone assumed Darnold was going one. I think most people assumed the Jets were going to get Mayfield. I was of the belief going into that draft that Darnold, Rosen, and Mayfield were all really tightly bunched together as the top guy. Could have been 1A, 1B, 1C, depending on what style of play you liked, uh, with a big step down to then Lamar Jackson, and then a bigger step down to Josh Allen, who I was dreading the Jets potentially taking, and I still stand by that take, despite his 600-whatever rushing cards last year. It seemed very Jetsy. Didn't it seem very Jetsy to draft Josh Allen if they were going to do it? I felt that way. I was absolutely, like many Jet fans, dreading that potential at third overall. Now, Rosen obviously had a really rough rookie year. He was in a terrible situation, but Darnold was in a bad situation, too, and he looked a lot better than Rosen. Rosen, ironically enough, is now also in the AFC East along with Allen and Darnold. Uh, you know, I think Mayfield you know, looked the best of any of the rookie quarterbacks last year, but was probably in the best situation and had the most favorable schedule. So mm-hmm. it's going to be fun to watch. I, I think every Jet fan feels really good about Darnold going into year two, and I think that's fair because of how well he played down the stretch. Uh, the question is going to be, can he protect the football? Can he win some more football games? Can he produce it a way that is comparable to how Mayfield produced at times last year? And look, he starts off the year playing Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield, so we'll get a good measuring stick right away. Last year with the Cleveland Browns on Hard Knocks, we got a little bit of a look into this realm, but how terrifying is Greg Williams? <laughs> Very terrifying. <laughs> Very terrifying. I think he is popular with Jet fans because of Hard Knocks and because of his personality. I think that has kind of inflated his resume a little bit. I think he's an interesting defensive coordinator. He's had some ups and downs, but he's not like Bill Belichick or Wade Phillips like some Jet fans are making him out to be. I think there have been some problems with how he's ran his defense in recent years, so I think he'll be in need of breath of fresh air from how Todd Bowles was doing things, but I think the Jets are going to make some big plays, but they're going to give up some big plays, and I worry about their cornerback personnel in particular. Uh, but if if nothing else, it will be entertaining. Well, Greg doesn't have too many uh, fans in Minnesota, as you can uh, imagine, so I wish you the best with that. Uh, Joe Caparoso, turnonthejets.com. Let me ask you this, uh, Joe. I'm sure we'll have you on again um, you know, during the season or whatever else, but just what what's the win total that Adam Gase has to reach this year for Jets fans to be like, okay, all right, we've got something good here? It's a hard question. It's one I think a lot of us have been trying to answer. If you ask me now, I would say the Jets are probably a seven, seven and nine, eight and eight type team. If the Jets go seven and nine, I, I think it's more than fair for the Jets and Jet fans to be disappointed and maybe have a really quick trigger with Gase. I mean, this is his fourth straight year of being a head coach in the AFC. He's spent a lot of money this offseason, and this is a team that hasn't made the playoffs in eight years. They've been one of the worst teams in football. Uh, over the past three years. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it breaks out. I would say if he wins six or less games, it's going to be considered a disaster. I think that seven, eight range is kind of the borderline. It depends what type of seven and nine or eight and eight it is. 
And if he goes over 500, I think most people will be happy and consider it a successful season, even if it's just nine and seven. Well, you'll always have the Ryan Fitzpatrick 10 and six year, Joe. And, you know, if you can experience yeah. a Ryan Fitzmagic season in your life, then, you know, you're set. You're good. Um, Joe, I, I always appreciate your work. You do awesome stuff. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter at jcaporoso and uh, turn on the jets.com. Thanks for coming on, Joe. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been talking with Joe for a long time, mm-hmm. even going back to when I was in Buffalo, because obviously they play the Jets all the time. And he has a, a perfect way of encapsulating things. And uh, yeah, not becoming an instant meme in your press conference. That would have been a win for them. But, you yeah. know, it, it's also crazy to hear just how going below 500 for a Jets franchise that hasn't been very good so far. And, and I'm not as high on Sam Darnold as I think a lot of other people are. I just, I think that the accuracy issues, which also plagued him at USC is something that's really hard to fix in the NFL. It doesn't get easier as you move up where them going below 500 would be an absolute failure. I find it hard for, it's hard for me to believe that that team can go above 500. You know, accuracy is a, is a fascinating thing, right? Sure. Because, Sam Darnold has the capability to make so many big and exciting plays, and he even uh, you know, did that a couple times against the Vikings. Not too many. It was a bad game for him. But you saw him down the stretch especially show the flash of the great arm and the arm talent and the kind of the guts to make big throws. But I wonder, like you, whether that's something you can change and teach. Even if you just tell him, oh, you've got to throw more short passes – Guys react to flash situations. A guy comes through free and you've just got to throw it. Or yeah. you're you're rolling out and you've got to try to make a play. And he's always just thrown too many footballs into traffic and tried to make too many uh, tough throws. And with Brett Favre, uh, you, there was so much great from Brett Favre that he could do that from time to time. But you have to be super, super good all the rest of the time to get away with making those ill-advised throws. That's the thing that I would worry about with uh, with Sam Darnold. So Manny has a list of eight or nine things. He's going to come in that we've got hot routes as well coming up as we carry on with Purple Daily here on Score North. Well, I think it's just hard for defenses to differ between pass and run. And, uh, and it, it opens up the pass game and opens up the run game. And uh, you see it out here at practice. I mean, sometimes our defense, the, they don't know where the ball's going. They, they don't know which one to play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's when you, you kind of sit in the film room like, this is why he's had success and this is why we're putting this in and, and why we feel confident for, about it. So um, the results will speak for themselves. And uh, like I said, we just got to keep trying to master it because there's a lot of nuances. There's a lot of different things that uh, we have to figure out as receivers uh, to try to make things look the same. And, and uh, so, so defenses don't know what's coming. Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen yesterday there at OTAs. The Vikings have minicamp next week. If you want to see his complete comments on how the Vikings are trying to marry the run with the pass, uh, visit scorenorth.com. A couple other things there. I talked to Mike Boone yesterday about his role and how he could be an interesting wild card in the race for backup running back. Also, if you want to give us a call here on Purple Daily, 651-646-8255 is the number. One more thing, Manny, before we get to your list of eight or nine things. Mm-hmm. If uh, you like the show, then go to wherever you get your podcast and just type in Purple Daily or type in Score North Vikings. Either way, it will come up and you can listen to us every day if you can't catch us live. So there's all the things. Now, Manny, each week on Wednesday, you come in for this segment 
Stick around for Hot Routes, of course. And you give us a countdown list of either eight or nine things. What do you have for us today? Today I have my eight uh, favorite random factoids about the NFL. The whole NFL. About the whole NFL. Just about the things that have history happened. History of the NFL? The, or? Um, it's more so like things that have happened okay. over the course of the, the history of the league. And there's six that are like statistically related and two that are just sort of like random. Like, oh, oh yeah, that happened. Okay. Sort of thing, so. All right. Let's begin. Is, uh, is this eight or nine? This is eight. Okay. So, um, and it's not really in any sort of order, but I'll just, we'll just say this is number eight. Do you guys remember the 2000 Baltimore Ravens? They uh, won Super Bowl uh-huh. that year and went 12 and four. I've heard they had a good Bowl. defense. Yeah. They, I've heard they won defense. without an elite quarterback, yeah, which is won. then proof that every team without an elite quarterback <laughs> for the rest of time can win. In fact, Matthew Collard, did you know? <laughs> I think I've they... ever heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that the 2000 Baltimore Ravens? During that season, went five games without scoring a touchdown. I have heard this before. Yes, and five games thing, without scoring a touchdown. Wow. The thing that I love about that, well, there's two things that Tony Banks was on the quarterback challenge the year before as a member of the Baltimore Ravens as yes. their starting quarterback. So even though Trent Dilfer gets all the uh, credit for that one, Tony Banks was the guy that started out that season as their quarterback and. Now, let me look this up real quick. The number of turnovers that they had in that season, I think, will never get matched again that, that they caused as mm-hmm. a defense. Um, I'll have to see if I can find it while you're scrolling down some of these, but it, it's insane. Manny, do you know their record in games that they didn't score a touchdown? Because yes. they were 12 and 4. Yes. So they had to actually win some of those games. That was, that was going to be my next, uh, my next point about this. They actually went in those five games, they went 2 and 3. That's really and good that's for right. not scoring And that goes to tell you how epically amazing that defense was that year. That you can go basically a month and a week without scoring a touchdown and still manage to win two football games. So, wait, did they, okay, was one of the wins against the Browns that they won 12 nothing? That had to be one of them. Probably, yeah. And then they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 15-10 to the next week. <laughs> so they had to go two straight weeks without scoring a touchdown and went 2-0. Yes, I think it was. Yeah, it was week <laughs> week five through week nine. They were at Cleveland at oh, Jacksonville. It was, it was at five Washington. straight games. Yeah, five consecutive games. <laughs> yeah, five straight games without scoring a touchdown. That's unbelievable. Basically, the entire they didn't score a touchdown the entire month of October, and they didn't lose any of those games by more than eight points. Yep. The three losses that they had, they lost ten to three against Washington, fourteen to six against Tennessee, and Pittsburgh beat them nine to six. Okay, I've got it. They caused. 49 turnovers that year. So interceptions or fumbles, 49. They picked off 23 passes and allowed 11 touchdowns. I don't think that that will ever be done again. 49 turnovers caused in a single season by a defense. I'm Matthew Collard. That's an outstanding segue because that leads right into my next uh, random factoid in the history of the NFL. In 1983, there were... 1,114 turnovers slash takeaways in the National Football League. In 2018, this past season, there were 696. This is my favorite thing about watching old games. <laughs> Quarterbacks just throw it wherever. Yes. I mean, it's hilarious how many picks they throw, how many fumbles there are. I mean, that the, It's one of my favorite parts of going back is even really 
early 90s, it was this way. Yeah. That San Francisco had created the West Coast, so they didn't turn the ball over. And other teams were starting to adopt it, but they hadn't really mastered it yet. And it was... Guys throwing the ball down the field. Quarterbacks who you think of as being really good. Mm-hmm. I was watching an old Bills game, and Jim Kelly just heaves one to nobody. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And, I mean, he would throw three picks in a game sometimes. Boomer Esiason, he was a good quarterback. I remember watching a game where he just, he's up in a game by two scores and throws the worst interception because it just happened a lot more. And I think that that is one of the reasons why uh, old coaches still stick with the running game. Mm-hmm. Like remember that saying of uh, two bad things can happen and only one good thing when you pass the ball. You know you can turn it over in completion. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, that doesn't happen so much anymore. The Bears led the league last year with 36 forced turnovers. In 1983, Washington led the league with 61 <laughs> takeaways. And that's not even the NFL record. Wow. The NFL record, well, next the next year, uh, Seattle forced 63. Chuck Knox's uh, Seattle Seahawks, that was a pretty good team that year. They yeah. forced 63 turnovers. But the uh, San Diego Chargers hold the uh, record. It was the, They were in the AFL at the time. Uh, they forced 66 turnovers in 1961. Football, man. <laughs> Football used to be a mess. Yeah, it's just, it's just amazing how now, like today, if a quarterback throws... 15 interceptions it's like oh he sucks he's not any good and like everyone's so good like the kickers are so good they make 85 percent if you make less than you're a complete bum and you get cut back in the day if you made 60 percent you were probably pretty good even in the 90s early 90s if you made 70 percent oh this guy's pretty good kicker he's made 70 percent all right what's the next on the list the next one really good segue in fact george blanda hall of fame Hall of Fame quarterback. Multiple uh, position player. Yes. Uh, 1962, he was playing for the Houston Oilers, back in AFL at the time. He threw a record 42 interceptions. (laughs) (laughs) 42 picks. 42. That's not even the most impressive part of of this bit. Despite the 42 interceptions that he threw, he went eleven and three as a starter. <laughs> How many touchdowns did he throw? Uh, Twenty-seven. Oh, the um, the quarterback wins people. The people who don't believe in quarterback win record as an evaluation tool, they would uh, appreciate that very much. Now, that would be something you guys all play Madden. Mm-hmm. If you play franchise mode, you tank the first year, so you get the top pick in the draft yep. every time you put in the third quarterback. I'm not even sure if you put in the worst quarterback you could find on Madden. If you <laughs> They, it's great about Madden because they include guys who are just camp bodies on the game now. Yep. If you took a camp body and threw him in, Nathan Peterman, and put him in, he couldn't throw 42 picks in a game. Now on Madden, you or actually have to, go, you have to go through like preseason roster cuts yeah. on Madden. Now you actually have to I know, cut it's your so roster intricate. down from 90 down to Do you guys ever feel sad about all this Like with where Madden has gone? It's so detailed yeah. that you have to be able to read defenses like an NFL quarterback to play the game, as opposed to Tech Mobile, where it was, allow me to give the ball to Bo Jackson and run around like crazy and score and have fun. Uh, next uh, random factoid. In 1982, you guys know who the uh, MVP of the NFL was in 1982? No clue. I'm going to guess it was a quarterback or a running back. 
wrong. Okay, it was, it was a kicker. Mark Mosley. Yes. Okay, he was that the was the year. MVP yes. in 1982, and he was a kicker for Washington. How? I remember that. Why was that? I remember that happening, or I mean, not in my life, but I remember reading about this <laughs> happening. But I never asked why it happened. Well, I think part of it was well, he went 20 of 21 on field goals that year for Washington. And then Washington actually went on to win the Super Bowl that year. They beat Miami, um, Super Bowl 17, but. That was a strike-shortened season. Okay, it was yeah. a nine-game season. And basically, he was so good as a kicker that he got MVP votes. And, and he might have led the, the league, league in scoring, because yeah, a lot of times did, it yeah. is a kicker that leads the league in scoring. Yeah. so That's hilarious. Was, yeah. So and I think, was, now, if I'm not mistaken, the last defensive player is 86 in Lawrence Taylor, LT, right? yeah. We haven't had one since. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Does, a kicker. It, I mean, the NFL MVP is a thing that literally no one cares about, right? I mean, pretty much. It's, yeah. So through the early two thousands, it's all running backs, and then it's all like Peyton Manning or Brady and some quarterbacks. And I can't name you ten MVPs because well, I don't not, care. It has now just turned into what what quarterback had the best, season. right? That's yeah. that's what the award is. Yeah. Let's just call it what it is. It's the the quarterback, the most that valuable quarterback. Yes, exactly. Uh, caller, you'll like this next one. There's only one quarterback in NFL history that has started multiple playoff games and is unbeaten. Can you name that quarterback? Mm. Uh, give me an era here. I will say, oh, I'll give it away if last, I say this. But it lasts 20 years. La- the last 30 years. Last 30 years. The last 25, 30 years. Multiple games and he's undefeated. Multiple playoff games. Mm. So... Mm. Is it Frank Reich? Yes, correct. <laughs> That's why I thought you would, you would yeah, appreciate the, it. Uh, Frank the, Reich is your guy. The comeback game, and then there was one other one. Yeah, yeah. It was. I think it was. Was it? I think it was the same season. Ninety-three, uh, it, right? Yeah, Kelly, it might have been. He might have won because he see, started. The, he might have won the game after because it was the wild card game that was the comeback against game. the Oilers. And yep. I remember going into that thinking that because Jim Kelly was out, they really didn't have much of a chance to win. And that was old blackout days, too. So I listened to the comeback game on the radio. That had to have been. And funny little factoid is, I think it is Don Beebe, Chad Beebe's dad, Mm -hmm. was running down the sideline, clearly stepped out of bounds, not called, goes in for a touchdown. If it was today, that wouldn't have happened. They They would have reviewed it. They would have brought it back. And maybe they don't get the comeback game. Amazing. All right. Next stat. Since 1987, every franchise in the National Football League has appeared in at least one conference championship game except for one. Can you name that team? Got a guess, Danny? Uh, Is it uh, Detroit? Nope. I just think of that when I think of unbelievable it's amounts actually, of losing. It's actually more obvious than you think. Is it Tampa? Nope. No, Tampa, oh, went to Tampa won the Super Bowl. Super Bowl yeah. Sorry, Danny. Come on, even I know a very that. long time ago. I just <laughs> I was just thinking of bad teams. Never appeared in a conference championship, conference championship game. game. Only team in the league that has not done it since 1987. The Dolphins? Nope. Is it, is it Cleveland? N- nope. They went in 88, I believe. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, 87 right. and 88, yeah. I want to say. Yep. Oh, uh, wasn't the drive? The drive and a, the fumble, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The drive and the fumble, yeah. Yep. All that stuff. Back-to-back years. Um, is it the Jets? Did he say the Jets? It's not the Jets. They made they made the AFC. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with Rex Ryan, and with Rex Ryan, once with Bill Parcells too. All right, Mark Sanchez, baby. 
Miami made it. Is it AFC or NFC? It's an AFC team. AFC team. Um, no, the Bengals would have been in the Super Bowl. Yep. Right after that. Who am I missing here? Is it the Texans? It is the Houston Texans, oh, yes. Okay, yeah. The only team in the That's league. It's like a trick question, Manny. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's true, technically. <laughs> Next week, you're doing seven things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two more to go. Um, I'll save my favorite one for last. Um, but December 3rd, 2006, I believe it was week 13 in the NFL. The Chicago Bears compiled a grand total of 107 yards of offense, and they won by double digits. They beat Brad Childress and his kick-ass offense, Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> 23-13 at Soldier Field. Of course, the Bears went on to go to the Super Bowl that year. The, uh, the best stat line of that game, Rex Grossman, the winning quarterback of that game, went 6-for-19 for 34 yards and three interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> I have watched this game. <laughs> I have, I, I it's have, pretty you, painful I have to watch. I remember I, this game. Yes, yes, I have YouTubed this game, and uh, there is some running of the football and some really bad offense. What was, was the weather was there that a kick, day? Was there a kick return? Yes, the uh, Bears touchdowns. Um, Ricky Manning had a pick six. Okay, right. And then um, it was either Ricky Manning or Daniel Manning. It might, have been, it might have been Ricky Manning. Um, and then uh, Devin Hester had a... Uh, I thought so. Okay, last one. Touchdown. Last one, very quickly. You guys probably both knew this, that uh, Suge Knight played in the NFL. Oh, yeah. Yes, I did know that. Yes. yes. He was a replacement player for the uh, Rams in 1987. He, he appeared in two games. Did not re- re- uh, register a tackle or a sack or anything like great that. Great guy. He's a defensive lineman. Oh, yeah, great guy. Yeah, Suge Knight, great yeah, guy. Yeah, one of the best characters around, man. You yeah, want You want him in your foxhole. And, I believe that Dean Cain was like a camp body for the Bills. You know, the guy who played Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if he's acted at anything recently, but I always thought that was kind of funny. It was like, Superman was a camp body. <laughs> How good are these players if Superman can't make the squad? The Bills, of all people. Yeah, all right. Exactly. Uh, okay, so we'll take a break. Thanks for your time, Danny. We're going to get a Zolgad in here. Hot Routes is coming up next. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.